0: very good morning and praise God for this wonderful privilege to worship the Lord together in the same time, same space. Uh, Let's commit this time to the Lord. Father, as we come humbly before your throne, we pray, Father, that you will speak into our lives and into our hearts, that you, by your grace of your Holy Spirit, make our hearts a fertile ground, Lord, that your word can take deep root and bring that harvest of righteousness in our lives, gracious God. And so, Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all our hearts be acceptable to you, O Lord, our strength and gracious Redeemer. In Jesus' name, amen. If you are following the news today, um, hardly a day goes by uh, without a mention of the rise of artificial intelligence, AI tools uh, like Chet GDP, and how they are fundamentally changing or reshaping our world in the current and near future. The breakthroughs of this field has given rise to AI tools that can almost perfectly mimic the conversations, uh, thought processes of humans. Uh, AI tools today already surpass what scientists previously considered as definitions of what it means to be uniquely human. For example, one of the fundamental tests, I I believe this was from uh, Alan Turing in the 20th century, um, he was a computer scientist. One of the tests uh, to, is, is the ability to tell whether you 're having a conversation with a computer or a human. Previously, it was thought that AI tools could not maintain a conversation with humans without appearing uh, to be well artificial in the past, we kind of program uh, and tell the computer what to say so it 's kind of robotic, kind of mechanical. Today, these tools are trained on previous patterns of conversation, and they decide what to say next. They decide on their own what to say next. And previously, we could uh, easily tell that you know, you're communicating or chatting with you know, a, a, a program. It sounds uh, unnatural, it's mechanical. But today, tools like ChatGTP can maintain a human-like ability uh, to carry on a conversation with you without sounding mechanical. Recently, a New York Times, The New York Times ran an opinion article with the headline, "Human beings are soon going to be eclipsed." It's a quote uh, from a scientist who was previously skeptical of the ability of AI tools to mimic humans, only a number of years ago, he was skeptical, but who is now alarmed at the possibility of AI tools surpassing humans altogether. At a recent celebration of learning uh, in our Wesley International School, uh, it was wonderful to see all the children coming together to learn um, and and to learn new knowledge, uh, create new things. And I made a remark there that in the coming and present age of AI and intelligent robots, it becomes increasingly important to know what it means to be human. What is it that makes us uniquely human? Is it the ability to recall facts, remember, recall facts, calculate mathematical formulas? Well, today, uh, computers can perform all of that in a fraction of a millisecond, faster than we can blink an eye. Is it the ability to play complicated games like chess? Today, computers regularly regularly beat even human grandmasters in chess. Is it the ability to reason and carry out intelligent conversation, to make music, to paint art? AI tools today already do a pretty good job, not perfect, but pretty good job, and their capabilities will grow exponentially, rapidly in the coming next few years. Perhaps it's the ability to express emotions Uh, Recently, there was an AI, uh, a New York Times reporter, he was uh, working with an experimental version of an AI tool, and after some long-drawn discussion or conversation, uh, the AI tool started to express its feelings for him and tried to convince him to leave his wife. Of course, in this case, it's the effect of the AI programming model. It's not exactly the real human emotion, but... The AI is replicably mimicking human behavior. So what is it that makes us uniquely human? Thankfully, we don't have to rely on scientists or philosophers for the answer. The answer is found in God's word. Humans are uniquely created to know God and to be loved by him. In the book of Genesis, God breathed his breath into man and he became a, a living being created to know God, created in his image, in God's image. God did not do that for any other creature or things in this created world. AI or machine intelligence cannot replace the essence of how God created us to be in relationship with him. And when that relationship is broken by sin, God chose to act decisively to save and redeem humankind. When God's saving plan is finally completed, Christ returns again, all creation will be held in its proper place. Redeemed humans, humans that are saved, will be restored fully to God's purposes, reflecting the character of Christ and living, flourishing under his authority And ai tools cannot come close to that. So the Gospel of Matthew, like all other other Gospels in the Bible, is a story of how God has acted to save humanity from the destruction and death caused by sin so that humans can live fully under the power of righteousness instead of being imprisoned by the powers of sin and death. Brother Chokau preached last week that it was about 400 years of silence between the Old Testament and the New, 400 years where the powers of violence, armies, and empires seemed to grow unchecked, where God's people prayed and looked for God's deliverance as he had promised through the prophets. It was a silence in terms of waiting for God to decisively act to fulfill his promises and to restore the nation and establish a kingdom of righteousness and justice. And when God did finally act, it was gloriously good news indeed. And God worked in an extraordinary way. God used seemingly ordinary people and circumstances to achieve something truly extraordinary in sending his son Jesus to be born into this world. And so the big idea today is that God has done extraordinary things for us to save us and redeem us through His Son, Jesus. This extraordinary time of God's salvation and the fulfillment of His promises can be experienced through the following ways. Extraordinary people, extraordinary promise, extraordinary presence. First, extraordinary people, ordinary people who respond in faith to an extraordinary God. In October 2020, our church had a virtual choir presentation of the song Ordinary People. You can still uh, look that up in the the YouTube. A very moving presentation of how our church community uh, coming together to serve in various ways. Um, And this way of God working through seemingly ordinary people and ordinary circumstances is a story that is repeated through the Bible. People who respond in faith to an extraordinary God achieve extraordinary things. At the time of Jesus' coming to the world, Matthew records for us how one man, Joseph, will come to play a crucial role in caring for Jesus as he grew up to fulfill God's calling for him to be the saviour of the world. We don't know much about this seemingly ordinary man, Joseph. But what we do know about him is that Joseph was a man of extraordinary faith. Our passage today depicts two key aspects of Joseph's life. First, that he was an upright man, he was a righteous man. And second, that he responded in faith to what God told him to do. Matthew first describes Joseph as someone pledged as a future husband to marry. This is something something like our engagement, uh, but in the biblical times, in the biblical context, it was a sacred commitment uh, and pledge for a man and woman to be husband and wife at a future date. It carried the obligations of commitment in marriage but without living together or having any sexual relations. But then, in the time of this engagement, Mary was found to be pregnant. This was a bitter blow to Joseph and must have surely felt like a, like a betrayal. The only conclusion for Joseph was that Mary had broken her pledge to keep herself special to him. At this point, God did not yet reveal to Joseph that Mary is innocent so Joseph could only assume the worst. Under the law and in the practice of the day, Joseph had a right to divorce Mary, to break off the engagement and to put her to public shame. Mary and her family would be disgraced in a very close-knit community and Mary would have no chance to be considered again as a marriage candidate in the future due to the shame. So uh, so, uh, Joseph had in mind to divorce her quietly to reduce the public shame and exposure. Interestingly here, the Gospel of Matthew says that Joseph was faithful to the law, according to the NIV translation, the latest one. Uh, Other English translations put it as Joseph as being a righteous man or a just man. But what do we mean by saying that Joseph was a righteous and just man? What do we mean by saying that he was a man faithful to the law? If Joseph legalistically followed the law and custom of Jewish society, it was, within, it was fully within his rights to expose Mary, to expose her apparent betrayal to the whole town. But Joseph chose not to, even though he must have felt hurt and betrayed in the worst possible way, as a pledged husband. But he worked to limit the shame and potential damage to Mary and her family. Instead of demanding full satisfaction in seeing Mary pay the price of a betrayal, Joseph uh, actually worked to limit the shame and exposure to Mary and her family. In other words, Joseph's sense of entitled justice was restrained by his compassion and mercy even though he believed himself to be the party who had been wronged, mistreated, and betrayed. So Joseph was righteous, not based on legalistic righteousness, although we can be sure he was a morally upright man. But Joseph was righteous here, considered righteous here, because he faithfully reflected what God was like. He was righteous because he reflected what God was like, that God is both a God of justice and also of mercy. Joseph's actions proved that he was a man after God's heart, just like his ancestor, King David. His heart flowed and aligned with God's heart instead of demanding his own entitled rights. I believe this was something of a test of faith and character for Joseph. Before God works in an extraordinary way in someone's life, the person's character is often tested. That person might have an ordinary life with ordinary talents, but as we saw in 1 Samuel chapter 16 a while back, God looks at the heart. In Samuel, he looked and saw the heart of a boy, David, and chose him to be king because a person's heart and character must match up to the weight of the extraordinary work that God has prepared for that season. And here, uh, Joseph's true heart was was revealed in how he responded to a personal betrayal. He chose compassion over his own violated feelings. God saw Joseph and saw a man after his own heart. In Matthew chapter 1, verse 20, uh, Joseph is explicitly called the son of David by the angel. And I think this signifies the quality of Joseph's heart and not just human ancestry. And it was only after Joseph revealed his heart that God spoke to him. We see this in Matthew chapter 1, verse 20, where we read, after he had considered this, that is, after Joseph decided to limit uh, Mary's shame and exposure, that the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream. And the angel in the dream instructed uh, Joseph to take Mary as his wife and explained that Mary did not betray him, that the baby in Mary was conceived through the power of the Holy Spirit and not through human means, that this baby is the long awaited Savior, God's promised Messiah or anointed one. God's calling for Joseph was extraordinary. He was to care for a child who was the fulfillment of God's promises made hundreds of years before. History, treasured sacred history, was now a living reality for Joseph. But Joseph still had to respond in faith to the dream. Would he brush it off as just another dream with no connection to the real world he faced? Joseph had to face his reality that there was no such thing as a virgin conception. There was no such thing as a virgin birth. Everyone knew what it took for a child to be conceived. Joseph would look extremely foolish if she tried to explain to those who might have known of Mary's pregnancy. If he kept quiet and took a pregnant Mary as his wife at the agreed marriage date, then he himself would be exposed to charges that he broke the moral commitment not to have sexual relations with Mary before their married date, or that he knew he was betrayed and did not have the moral courage to demand justice. He was not man enough to stand up for his rights as a husband. In either case, Joseph was potentially looking at a future where people could question his moral uprightness or his ability to stand up for what is right. In in that very close-knit shame and honour culture, it was a very big ask for Joseph based on a dream. His own natural instinct must have been to stay away from the situation. But what did his faith tell him to do? In the Experiencing God course, one of the principles we learned was that an encounter with God creates a crisis of belief that requires faith and action. Would Joseph believe that God is speaking to him that the child in Mary is a result of a miracle? It hasn't happened before, right? The miracle of the virgin conception has never happened before but would he believe this to be the word of the Lord? Matthew chapter 1, verse 24 says that when Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him and took Mary home as his wife. Joseph did not allow thoughts of possible shame and dishonour that he would have to suffer if he, did, if he obeyed God to dissuade him. He took the first step of faith and obedience The potential shame and dishonor may come in the future, but faith is obeying God in the present. Obey God now in taking the first step of obedience. Faith is taking the first step of believing obedience to what God has revealed or promised. It is not drowned out by real or imagined costs and uncertainties that we worry about in the steps ahead. Faith is to take the first step in obedience and remaining faithful throughout all the steps ahead. And often, God will only show us the first step. We naturally worry about the cost and commitment of obedience and the uncertainties in the steps ahead. We are thinking 10 steps ahead, 20 steps ahead. But God often shows us only the first step to take. To obey him. For Joseph, it was to take Mary as his wife, and believe that the child was miraculously conceived through the power of the Holy Spirit. By his actions, Joseph revealed himself to be a man after God's heart. He he was a seemingly ordinary man who responded to an extraordinary God. So he served God in an extraordinary way. We may have pretty ordinary daily routines and lead what we hope to be normal and stable lives. But what does it take for us to be used in an extraordinary way by God? Be prepared for God to test our character. God tests us not to condemn us, but to prepare us for greater things. By the working of His Spirit within us, our character must show that we are people, we are a people after God's heart. Our words and actions align with what, God hearts, what God's heart is like. Things like upholding righteousness, while at the same time showing mercy, compassion, and loving kindness. Of course, we do this progressively, we're not made perfect overnight. Jesus does say in the Gospels that those who are faithful... And trustworthy in small things in little things will be entrusted with more things and if our character can take the weight of what God is about to do then comes the encounter with God that will bring us to a crisis of belief which requires faith and action God will show us the first step we have to obey in faith and remain faithful through all the following steps that God will lead us to. Our first takeaway then is to live prepared for an extraordinary God to work in us and through us. Second, extraordinary promise. We experience the fulfillment of God's extraordinary promise when we embrace God's word in our hearts. In Matthew chapter one, verse twenty-two to twenty-three, we see the birth of Jesus as a direct fulfillment of God's promise made hundreds of years previously, earlier in the book of Isaiah, and we read all this took place to fulfill what God has said through the prophet: the virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. It was an extraordinary promise because the birth of Jesus occurred through the virgin conception. And so it was completely an act of God and not an act of man that Jesus came to be born. Now, having this promise fulfilled would have been extraordinary for those in the know, like Mary or Joseph. They knew what was happening because God had revealed His plans, His word to them. They were the ones who experienced this extraordinary promise come through firsthand, especially for Mary. But for outsiders at that time, those who did not receive God's revelation, this extraordinary promise would have seemed very ordinary. A young lady got herself pregnant. That seems natural enough. Moreover, over the the months, there could have been some question marks, as I mentioned, over exactly when did Mary get pregnant And with whom did she get pregnant with? If you are on the outside, without God's revelation, this extraordinary fulfilled promise would have seemed nothing more than a girl getting pregnant under morally questionable circumstances. As we saw in a previous point, Mary and Joseph showed incredible faith to place themselves under God's care and obeyed God in what he was doing to save his people. They did so knowing that outsiders, including close neighbours and relatives, could come to the worst conclusions and misunderstandings about their moral behaviour. But Mary and Joseph proved exactly to be the people whom God can trust to carry out his extraordinary work. They were a people of faith who received incredible revelations and experienced the extraordinary way in which God works to accomplish His purposes. How can we also become a people who can receive God's promises or word of revelation as He works around us? In a previous point, we saw that Joseph was a man after God's heart because he demonstrated God's righteousness with compassion. He responded with obedient faith to God's revelation. I'd like to develop this further by saying that our hearts and our lives must be fertile ground on which God's word of promise or revelation can take deep root and flourish. If I can borrow or take reference from the parable of the sower, which we will see in uh, Matthew chapter 13, the word of God must find must find fertile ground in which to take root and flourish. Joseph received God's word through a dream when angel gave him God's revelation. And God does still speak today through dreams, visions, and words of prophecy. But today we also, very importantly, we have the complete revelation of God's will and purposes through the Old and New Testament scripture. For us today, the Bible is the authoritative word of God for us. And all teachings, preachings, word of prophecy, visions and dreams must be measured with the authority of the Bible. And so any teaching or prophecy or revelation that goes against or contradicts the word of God in the Bible should be rejected without hesitation. The main way God speaks to us today is through the Bible, where the Holy Spirit takes God's Word and brings its application to our life situations. And we apply the counsel of God's Word personally, but also within a community of believers under spiritual leadership. Now, none of this is new to most of you here. But I want to emphasize for us today, what I want to emphasize is the need to cultivate or nurture our hearts and our lives to be fertile ground for God's word to take root and flourish. Again, borrowing from the parable of the sower in Matthew 13, we see different conditions that might hinder God's message or word to us. We see the action of the evil one to snatch away God's word from us so that it doesn't take root. This happens when we lack, we don't have spiritual understanding of God's word. We read or hear God's word, but we cannot make sense of it or we don't seek deeper understanding and the devil easily snatches away God's word from us. It could be we receive God's word, but when trouble and persecution come, we fall away and turn away from obeying God's word. In this case, we hear God's word, we receive it with enthusiasm, but we don't persevere in obeying and believing God's word when difficulty comes. It could be we receive and believe and obey God's word with sincerity, but God's word in us gets choked and crowded out with worries and anxieties of everyday life or by worldly ambitions of wealth and success. We read God's Word and it may, it may have impacted us for a while. And for that moment, we say, yes and amen to God's Word. But then we go on as normal, worrying about the same things and chasing after the same ambitions or dreams of or wealth, or success. And so God's Word cannot have its full effect or impact in our lives. It's like if I'm anxious about how my life is going... And I read something like Matthew chapter 6, verse 33. Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all the things that you need will be added to you. And I say, yes, amen to that word. But then I go ahead to chase after my own agenda and ambitions as normal, as before. Without regard to God, then the word of God would not have its full effect or impact in my life. But if we are to be a people that works to nurture and cultivate good fertile soil of our hearts, to receive and obey God's word consistently, then the harvest of impact will be hundredfold, sixtyfold, thirtyfold. The harvest of righteousness in having God's word fulfilled in our lives and through our lives, that impact of harvest and righteousness, of impact and righteousness will far surpass whatever we can hope and imagine. Joseph and Mary gave up the normal life when they fully embraced God's work in their lives and through their lives. Their lives will be filled with awe and wonder of seeing God's own eternal Son, the Saviour and Messiah, grow up before their very eyes, even though they may have to put up with nuisance, rumours and unfair remarks about the circumstances of Mary's first Pregnancy Many Christians, pastors And missionaries, church planters Disciples in the workplace Chose To give up the normal life When they obeyed God's word for them Often their lives come with Added hardship And persecution On top of the natural struggles Of everyday life but then they are able to experience the hundredfold, the sixtyfold, the thirtyfold increase in the harvest of God's fulfilled promise and purpose in their lives and through their lives. More and more, we must be a people ready to receive and respond in faith to God's word and promises. We cannot settle for normal, safe Christianity where where we try to do the bare minimum at minimum commitment and cost of discipleship, where we try to keep our own ambitions, agendas and way of living while doing all the outward practices of church culture. This type of Christianity, where God's word and promises do not take deep root, do not flourish to bear fruit, this type of shallow, fruitless church lifestyle without true discipleship cannot survive the coming upheavals of drastic technological change, climate disasters, economic uncertainties. But when God's people are flourishing with the harvest of God's work and promise in their midst, the world around us will see what truly abundant life is like under an extraordinary God. Our second key takeaway is make space in our hearts for God's word to take deep root. Third, extraordinary presence. God's presence ensures His word is ultimately fulfilled. I'll use this third point to try to conclude and close our time together. Uh, the prophecy of Isaiah quoted in Matthew chapter one verse 23. The virgin, will, the virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. What ensures God's word will be fulfilled when we respond to God in faith and obedience? For Joseph, all he had was God's word that the baby will be a boy and that his name will be to call Jesus. G, the name Jesus was to be given him. But because Jesus himself Will come to represent the very presence of God Himself, Emmanuel, God with us. All of God's promises will be fulfilled because of Jesus. Every sacrifice that Joseph and Mary would make will be worth the while because of what Jesus will accomplish. Every sacrifice, cost of obedience, and every painful offering made in faith will be worth the while. In the end, because of Jesus, God Emmanuel, God's very presence with us ensures that ultimately every purpose and promise of God to us and for us will be fulfilled. Paul says in 2 Corinthians 1 verse 20, for no matter how many many, uh, promises God has made, they are yes in Christ. And so through him the amen is spoken by us to the glory of God. We can say yes and amen to all of God's promises and word to us and be sure that God will carry out his purposes for our lives. The cost of obedience and discipleship is high. But God is present with us working towards rich fulfillment of his promises. And that is worth living for. That is worth giving up everything for the sake of Jesus to follow Christ to the end. What does it mean to be uniquely human? It is to know God and to be loved by Him. But let me add this as our final takeaway. It is the ability to respond in faith to an extraordinary God that makes us uniquely a redeemed humanity, a people of extraordinary faith, a people of extraordinary promise because we worship and serve an extraordinary God. And so I'd like to take this time to invite you to respond in faith to an extraordinary God. For some of us, it may be your first step in a life of faith. You might not have come to fully embrace God's word of salvation for your life through the Lord Jesus Christ. And this is your time to respond. For many of us here, perhaps is to respond in faith in how God is going to work in our life, in the next season of our lives, that next step of God's work in us and through us. For some of us, it may be for ourselves or for someone we are praying for to receive God's word of promise for whatever struggle, whatever difficulty, whatever crisis that we are facing. I'd like to call us to come before God's presence. There's nothing that we can do to earn God's favour. His grace and favour is a gift. We cannot do anything to add to what Jesus has done for us. We can only receive by faith and see how an extraordinary God works in our lives. And so, as we come into the Lord's presence right now, I want to pray first of all for anyone here that would like to take that first step to respond in faith, to receive the Lord Jesus Christ as your Lord and Saviour. This is your most important decision of your life. And in your own way, I want to ask you, invite you to Just open your hearts to the Lord Jesus Christ right now. And I want to say a short prayer that you can follow with me. Dear Heavenly Father, gracious God, I come just as I am. With all of my past, all of my present struggles, my sin, the things that are done wrong in my life, I confess that I cannot save myself. But because you are a saving God, you are a merciful God, I come to you by faith. I receive by faith Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. From this hour, I give Jesus my life, my present, my future, knowing that he has redeemed my past. And so, Lord, by faith, I come to you in faith. And receive the lord jesus christ i'm also praying right now for those of you who are waiting upon the lord and you want to be a people that will be able to receive the word of promise of god for your life and for the life of your small group for the life of this church community gracious father we pray that by your spirit, that you make our hearts fertile ground, even right now. Humble us, Lord, and grant us the courage to know and receive your word of promise and revelation. We ask by faith, not by demanding anything, but by receiving by faith whatever you speak to us, Lord, whatever word you command to us, Father, make our hearts open to your word even right now. Lord, we receive by faith that word of promise over our lives. That word of promise for our small groups. The word of promise for our church community, for our families. I want to pray for those of us need the word of the Lord because we are struggling or because we are praying for someone or people who are facing crisis and we need the saving word of the Lord and this is the moment that the Lord will speak that word of grace and promise Father we come to you in our struggles that we face in the many challenges that we are struggling with, we are praying before you right now, Lord, for our family and loved ones, for our friends and colleagues who are in grief, who are struggling, who are facing that crisis of their lives. Father, oftentimes, we do not know how to pray, what to pray for in this moment of crisis. But Lord, we pray that you will just speak your word, your word of grace, your word of saving salvation, your word of healing, your word of deliverance, your word of peace and comfort. Lord, whatever word you have spoken to us, we pray that you you will bring it to fulfilment, to a rich harvest of salvation, transformation, and deliverance in our lives and through our lives. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.